years, your brain might turn to putty. But there's still a chance to learn. We'll be your study buddies. We're going to talk about some stuff and make research cool. Welcome back to another week of Study Buddies, the podcast where we bring you the latest in science and psychology. And sometimes more. My name is Paula Sanchez Abreu. And my name is Taylor Collins. And we're back with another week of passing notes. Uh, We're doing a little passing notes about the study that we talked about last week that Taylor brought in for us. Yes, absolutely. And we always start our passing notes with a little summary. So, Paula, if you would give us just a a brief description of of what we had talked about last week with the study. Yes, teacher. Let's review. Okay. So, last week, (laughs) we did a 2020 study that was published in the Journal of Experimental Psychology, and it was called Anger Increases Susceptibility to Misinformation. And so, the short, the short and long, the short, the short of this, (laughs) what is that? Do you say the short... What does the short and long mean? I've never heard of that. Cool. This is cool. Great. (laughs) This is an ongoing trend. Totally off topic. Um, Back to the topic. The short of this study was that (laughs) they were looking to see how misinformation and anger interact. And so what they were doing was they, one, they first took all of their subjects and exposed them to a complex event. They made them watch a movie. That's what they made them do. That is complex. (laughs) Very complex. And then they had a post-event input from a different source that presented misinformation. And so this was in the form of, like, kind of comments being made about that event. So the film. Right. But their, their, like, comments instead were, like, comments through a quiz that had like information on it yeah and so they were basically seeing how people were um, remembering the movie while also inserting bits of information misinformation in there to see you know what they thought about that lies yeah lies and then they had a memory test to see how much the subjects remembered of that original complex event so that was like the three steps of this study And so what they found is that they found that the angry participants were more likely to incorporate misinformation from the questions into their memory about that original event than were the control group or the neutral participants. Right. They found that um, anger specifically increased the suggestibility of misinformation. So rather than just like increasing the amount of errors that they made in general, they were more likely to incorporate misinformation. So the anger group didn't necessarily have impaired memory for the events that actually happened, but they did have impaired ability to dismiss misinformation that was suggested, which is crazy. Yeah. And then they also found that participants in the anger group were more confident in how correct they were about their answers than the neutral group was even though they were more likely to include misinformation. So that's like the basic general overview of the study. And if you would like to learn more about that study and hear a bit more in-depth, if you didn't already listen to last week's episode, please go ahead and listen to it so you can really get a full grasp of what we're talking about today. Absolutely. And I think it was also important to note that not only were they more likely to include false information and what they were more likely to be more confident but they also answered things faster 
Wow. Yeah. So I think it's just really interesting to think about like yourself in the state of anger. Yeah. And what that may, what that might impact and how our reactions are to things. So with that, we could probably move into our segment uh, called the data data. Data data. And this is a segment where we look at how the data could influence our day to day on a more personal level. Oh yeah, Taylor, what do you think? How did you feel like this study uh, spoke to your soul, if you will? Well, um, this study just reminded me to check myself before I wreck myself. (laughs) Um, And with that, I mean, like, I think maybe I don't always, like, quantify what emotion I'm feeling. Like, I don't Mm. sit there and say, like, oh, I'm feeling angry or happy or sad or... Yeah. I try to do that a good amount of times, but I really don't do that all the time. I don't think any of us really do. Mm. And so I think like being aware that our mood shifts and different things make us react different ways. We should be mindful of our moods when we're in interacting with different data. And for me, like what this brings to my mind, number one is like Instagram. I think about times where there's like heated things going on, like politically or on like a larger level. Mm. And like when it, when like, there's all these different posts on like my Instagram feed. Yeah. I think it's really important to remember like if I'm feeling angry and I'm like thumbing through a bunch of like different memes or thumbnails or things that people are posting, like I'm probably not at a position to really like look through that information and kind of distinguish what is like factual versus not factual and really like be as mindful about mm-hmm. that and what I'm reposting in a state of anger, like things yeah. like that. So I think that was my biggest thing is like, okay, if I'm angry, angry Instagram browsing, like what does that mean with my ability to like fact check for myself? Yeah. It's funny because I feel like um, anger is something that I feel very, very easily. Like I get, <laughs> I get mad about a lot of stuff. And so, and I do think that it's easy when you are angry and you are trying to calm down to go to your phone and that, I mean, this study to me is making it feel like that's the most dangerous place for me to go is to my phone. <laughs> like it should be maybe to like a book that is a fiction book rather than like <laughs> any other kind of um, source to calm down just because uh, apparently I c- it's easy to be influenced when I'm in that like anger state of like wanting to fix something fast and raw and quick solutions and quick appeasing of the like emotional center which I feel like misinformation when like at least when I'm on Instagram and I'm scrolling because I do think Instagram for me is also a place where that that can be a little dangerous when I'm scrolling and I'm like ah yes this justifies my feeling repost now like that's the kind of energy that I take into it is like what's going to justify what I'm feeling right now rather than when I'm angry, I don't want to consider whether something is true or not. I just want to feel Well, and validated. I think that's, like, a big part of it, too. Like, in considering how the study was like, yeah, not only were they more likely to be wrong, but they were more likely to be confident in that. Like, that yeah. is, like, something that makes me think, okay, when I am in a state of anger, am I just, like, being stubborn am I digging my feet in am I not like am I at a in a position where I really know what I'm talking about and I'm like staying calm and like monitoring my emotions or am like if I'm already angry like I'm less likely to be in a place where I'm going to 
I think here when I'm wrong because I'm going to be more confident. I'm going to be more quick to react. I'm going to yeah. um, be less likely to be detail oriented. So I think like mm-hmm. that state of anger is just really not a place to be having yeah. these discussions about like bigger events, whether that's like in a relationship, whether that's in a political sense, like the state of anger just does not like, uh, does not lead itself to like compromise and collaboration and like, the things you need to like move grow forward. and make things work. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I definitely, I, d- I definitely hear you on that. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, it really is that thing of like, when I'm angry, what I want is to be validated or to be like empowered to like act now. And it, well, I think maybe those two things are the same. And I don't know that I'm looking for like reasonable reasons for that when I'm actually heated. Yeah. And that's like, a weird thing I think about like uh, how I feel about Instagram now and it's not just Instagram it's like what's going on in the world because I'm a person who finds myself personally very angry um, by things like going on politically or Mm -hmm. you know racial injustice and like so I get very like reactive but I I don't think I'm actually um, putting that emotion to in a productive sense so it's like you get that your your body gets into that like mode of like go do make something happen like get yourself out of this potentially dangerous situation like that's your body's response anyway yeah but it's not like being used effectively and I have found that I've been so much I've been really angry lately in general I think a lot of us have been like Mm -hmm regardless of like where you fall on the political spectrum and yeah there's just like, what your views are on right things. now there's so many things to be just like so angry about and I think it's really hard to like pull yourself away from that yeah. or at least I find that it's been hard one thing I will offer that has helped me significantly is using that anger to get involved in organizing and um, like finding I've been working with the sunrise movement and like getting involved with my local hub uh, and just like meeting with other people that are taking active steps to address the reasons that they are angry taking active steps to like make changes in that I think has been really really helpful for like my general psyche I I feel much more confident that we're going to be okay so I would just offer that if you um, have like an hour or two that you want to spend on not the Instagram, but actually making doing something that will make you feel better about the world. Right. That is also, that's a great, great option for, for anyone and everyone that's angry about something. Just get get involved in a community organizing because it's, it's really empowering. <laughs> it's really nice. So Paola's, Paola's thought is do something productive and tangible yeah. and... I think that makes more sense. Well, I'm a person who, like, if I'm, if I see someone who posts something that I think is unfactual, I might have an anger response to it and then go to, like, Google to look up, like, counter information to it type thing. Like, even if I'm not, even if I'm not, like, arguing with that person, I just, like, want to know. Probably in an emotion of anger, not the best time to be doing, like, Google research ever. Yeah, that's so true. So I'm like, I want to know the fact because this seems unreal. And then I realize I'm Googling in that state. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but mm, I don't know. I feel like you are not alone on that one. Um, Michael Greenstein, the author of this article, actually responded to our data data. And here's what he had to say about it. I don't think it's possible to be a memory researcher and not have it impact your day to day life. 
By virtue of knowing just how easy it is for memory to be affected by different contextual information before and after an event, I'm very willing to accept that my memory for events might be wrong. It's almost daily that I'll have a conversation with someone and their memory for a shared experience might be a little bit different than my own. And while I'm willing to say, are you sure I thought it happened this way? I'm never going to push back hard that my memory is perfectly right because I know that it might not be. Lucky for me, my partner is also a memory researcher, so most of those conversations end with both of us accepting that neither of our memories are truly accurate to what occurred except in kind of the general sense. I find it strangely comforting that the researchers are not immune to these things affecting them as well. Um, So it's nice to know that we all have kind of faulted memory sometimes and really should be mindful of this. Yeah, I definitely feel like that's true. And I feel like with that, we can actually head right into our next segment, Macaroni and Cheese, where we look at the study's bigger picture implications. Um, Yeah, what what has come out recently outside of fake news, man, the idea of fake news has been so huge and it just like... Things are polarized, not just on Instagram, which tends to be like my platform of choice, but like in news sites, in all sorts of areas. And I think we're all having a hard time distinguishing what's real and what's not. And that's crazy that it's gotten like to this grand scheme. There's so many emotions and so many, so much incorrect information. And it's like, what do you believe and how do you sort through that? Yeah, I think too, like... There is a sense of like, well, we get when people are angry, they they come back, right? They come back for more. And so I think that because like, you know, when people come back for more on most platforms, that platform is making money. So they're like, okay, well, let's see how can we get them to come back for more? Well, let's let's make a headline that will make them feel something. And then they make that headline that makes them feel something. And then they're feeling stuff. And then they have to go and validate that feeling with more information that's right. maybe correct or maybe not. And I think it's like the reason we have QAnon is because QAnon pokes and digs at things that are, you know, like really scary to people and make them mad. Like stuff like, um, I don't know, Pizzagate <laughs> and yeah. like child sex trafficking, which should make people mad. But, like, the, the, the misinformation that follows that is really dangerous, as we could see with the beginning of this year. Right. And I, I think what you're saying is a, a really great point. Like, we do, like, we get emotionally triggered and then we seek out information. And, like, that, I think that act of, like, seeking out information in that heightened state mm-hmm. is, like, never really a great place to be. Uh, as someone who, who does find myself there... It's like you're there's a conformity bias. You're going to take in the information that Mm. conforms to what you're already thinking of. You're going to shut down confirmation confirmation bias. Yeah, same. Yeah, it's just like that that idea that like I'm I'm looking for for things that support my Mm. like worldview, support the way I'm seeing things, or support something that that just activated uh, me emotionally, like you're saying. So even if it's not true. With the way that, like, online is now, you can find some sort of evidence for something anywhere. Like, conspiracy theories are huge. People, like, like to listen to them ironically and also not ironically. And I don't always know if people know where that line is. Uh, Yeah. We are are definitely, 
like more likely to remember information wrong and also walk around more confident in this this information if we're going into these uh, things like with anger. Yeah, it's like you're incensed and you also are like incredibly confident in why you are incensed. And I also think that like our lack of emotional intelligence education like early on, especially with like older generations that get angry about a lot of things going on in the world, like a lack of knowledge of where that emotion is coming from can allow you to be less discerning when you're looking at things online that might make you angry because you don't know what it's triggering inside of you a lot of the time like maybe you feel like some other people should have less power because you feel powerless yourself not that you are actually powerless but you feel powerless and those two things are different yeah I think it's like it makes me think of in social like I'm thinking of like the Instagram post that happened after the Capitol riots um, where people so many people were posting like this is what the uh, capital looked like uh, in the Black Lives Matter movement yeah. versus uh, that actually yeah, that wasn't a photo of the Capitol. That's a photo of the Lincoln Memorial. Mm. Not that it's like like it's still like, you know, the the center of D.C. that they're talking about and everything. Yeah. But those are like two different Places. areas, two different locations. Yeah. Like and everyone was reposting that. And it, it's very clear in the, the photo that they're different places mm-hmm. if you just take a second to look. But I think we were so reactionary to like the difference in what the troops look like and what the, the setup looks yeah. like that we didn't even notice they were different locations. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think that's just one instance where, like, there's this, like, bias that kind of, like, is blinding us to those details that, mm-hmm. like, if we otherwise might have noticed if we didn't, we weren't looking at all these images with rage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Behind us. That was, like, a very enraging, a very enraging uh, event. And, uh, yeah, the social media was crazy after that with many different things. And as far as, like, just other ways that this study can, might have implications on, like, a bigger picture, the author points out some points, like, what does this info mean in regards to, like, jurors in a courtroom? Mm. Or crimes, like, a lot of times will make people angry, especially if there's some sort of, like, injustice or someone who was wronged. And so how can that anger, like, affect, like, witness memory? And witnesses who, who, so... So say you were a witness to something, you may be in a state of anger. Like what, what happens if there's like leading questions or people are talking to you afterwards mm. or you're discussing it with other people. And like, there's that, that's the kind of like post event yeah. thing that's happening, which when we're in a state of anger, as a study showing, we might be more likely to incorporate those things. So someone who's a witness to a crime, who's angry may end up having, like, misinformation and not even being able to recognize that it's false and feel very confident in it and feel very quick to accuse someone. Um, And so, like, this study, not only is it on, like, a, you know, social media bias and, like, what we're dealing with, but, like, when it comes down to, like, legal areas and in a courtroom and whether or not someone's guilty or innocent, like, this can definitely influence, like, the outcomes of cases. Yeah, with that in mind, Dr. Greenstein also had something to say about that. This is what he had to say about macaroni and cheese. This research is most relevant to the criminal justice system. It's an area where people are particularly likely to experience anger as their victims or witnesses of crimes. And it's also an area where it's important that people report their memories exactly as they were experienced during the crime without any additions or changes that may have come over time. So this work shows the importance of being very careful about how we talk with witnesses and, to as much as is possible at least, try to protect their memory from post-event contamination. That's a really great point on how the timing 
does affect you know where our when we're angry and how that impacts our memory weirdly enough this is making me think of Vanderpump rules but like I feel like a lot of the times like there's a certain group of well I'll just say it I'll just say it because they're reality show characters and they are not my friends but (laughs) Stassi and Katie and Kristen often get really really mad about like a, a rumor that they hear and then they like stay mad about it and like hear more information and talk about it with each other and like more and more rumors and then all of a sudden they're like accusing another person of something that they literally did not do and we can see that they didn't do it because it's a reality television show and so it's right it's like I I know that that is very different than a courtroom a courtroom has a larger well you know like life implications but it, it does remind me of that, how, like, we are easy to... Per- it's easy to persecute somebody when you are angry and you have been incensed by all of the information, true or not, surrounding that event. Yeah, absolutely. I want to... Um, yeah. There's a point... There's a part in the discussion section of the paper uh, that the author states, and I'd like to quote this. So mm-hmm. the authors say, quote, The anger experienced in a criminal case is likely directed at the source of the memory, like the perpetrator, rather than an incidental target like the experimenter. Although Mm. this work demonstrates that anger affects processing of content unrelated to the source of anger, it is possible that the effects increase for related content. So the anger experienced by many victims and witnesses would likely exceed that of our laboratory participants, end quote. Oof. Wow. That's tough. Yeah. So, to like, hear. we're seeing this in, like, a very – it's not – like, it's almost like a neutral setting. People are watching a movie. Like, the anger right. condition was that the experimenter was, like, annoying and kind of rude yeah. versus, like, someone who might have, like, a, like seeing someone attack someone else or I don't know. Yeah. I'm not very yeah. good at, like, coming up with crimes. But mm-hmm. I think, like, in a real-world sense, you may have mu- much more, like, emotionally at stake and that may make this, yeah. like, intensified, essentially. That's true. This also does a little bit of a jump, but another point that this study made me think of was that men's men statistically have a tendency to like interpret sadness as anger. Mm. And so it makes me like wonder like what does this say about men in positions of power? Like their level of emotionality is differently interpreted and therefore if they are sad and feeling angry because they are sad then are they more often susceptible to misinformation because they feel angry more often than women I don't know if that's true that men feel angry more often than women but it's easier for men to interpret sadness as anger and so right like are they simplifying their emotions and kind of using do they feel anger as the catch-all for a lot of other emotions because they're not maybe distinguishing it yeah I think a lot of us might do that too like men and women Yeah, I think it's more common in men, though, um, to because men aren't allowed to cry. So, like, I think that... Socially, they, anyway. We, we think you're allowed to cry. Socially, <laughs> yeah. No, you should cry. Please cry. Everyone cry. But, yeah, I definitely think that because they just channel a lot of what they feel into anger because that's an acceptable emotion for men to publicly feel. How does that then you know, translate into how they're influenced by things outside of them. And are they influenced by things more often? These are questions. These are not statements. Right. It's just interesting to consider. Wait, there's a lot to like understand of like, what is the definition of anger? And I'm sure the authors have done, Mm. I'm sure a lot of work into like what qualifies as anger. 
and there's, you know, maybe different subsets of it, like being irritable or being frustrated or being annoyed. But then there's more complex things like feeling like shame or feeling rejected Mm -hmm. that might be really on the edge of anger. That might be some of those things that you're talking about that kind of end up falling into it. And I wonder if those emotions really, when you break them down, lead to the same reactions that we were seeing in this study. Yeah, that's exactly what I wonder. Well, I think said. I think that's really interesting, and there's a lot more to learn about how because it's this is this study was just looking at anger, so I I wonder yeah. like what other emotions would be like if you're ex- super excited. Like, what if they told every what if the uh, what if the experimental group was that you won two thousand dollars and they like that was sure. how so they just made people like really amped. Yeah. I wonder how excitement might affect misinformation as well yeah that is very interesting to think about I, that sounds like a fun experiment i want to be a part of that yeah one. me too please please <laughs> we make a request wait we may we may all be a part of that anyway because if that two thousand dollar stimulus goes through then we can just set up our own experiment experiment guys there we go. just reach out to us we we'll go. uh we'll plan it it's gonna be great <laughs> Yeah, well, me, me, the actor, will plan the research. <laughs> I'll be so good at it. Oh, man. We'll have to reach out to Michael. I've studied. I've, I've reviewed enough studies by now. I could uh, be a, a professional, right? Yeah. I, no. I think the answer to that is no, everyone. The answer is no. I think we, no. Should probably, we should probably leave it up to Dr. Greenstein. I think so, too. Oh, well, thank you again, Dr. Greenstein, for taking the time to share your thoughts on this study with us. Yeah, I think it's really great to hear like his takeaways and kind of from the person who's really creating the research, how he feels like that's influencing, you know, his life and his thoughts about the world. Well, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Study Buddies. We look forward to seeing you again next Tuesday for a new study. And we hope you have a lovely, lovely week. Bye, everyone. Go meditate. Don't be mad. Good luck. (laughs) Study Buddies was created by Paula Sanchez-Abreu and Taylor Collins. Our graphic design was done by Monica Ray Summers-Gonzalez, and our intro song was composed by singer-songwriter Caught In Between. You can follow Study Buddies on Instagram at studybuddies.com and email the show at studybuddiespodcast at gmail.com.